Imagine, if you will, a podcast. A podcast beyond that which is known to man. It exists in both fandom and discovery, in viewing and critiquing. My name is Matt Hurt. This is Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. Each podcast, I share my thoughts on an episode of this iconic series as a first-time viewer, as well as share some trivia about the episode. I then end each podcast with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's episode. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com, and if you want to contact me, you can do that on the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod, tweet me at ObsessiveViewer, send an email to Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com, or call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. And if you like what you hear and want to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes' search results. And if you're in a particularly giving mood, you can also support Anthology with your wallet by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or on the donate button in the links of each episode's show notes. Every donation made using that donate button will go directly toward the fees to keep the podcast running, and it's greatly appreciated. Finally, if you're in Indianapolis, my friends and I at the Obsessive Viewer are hosting an event on October 14th. It's a third annual Shocktober in Irvington, where we rent out the Irving Theater and screen short horror films from local filmmakers. We also interview the filmmakers between each screening and raffle off DVDs, Blu-rays, and gift cards to local businesses. All the proceeds go right to the Irvington Historical Society and help support a great community in Indianapolis. And as a bonus for Anthology listeners, you can get $1 off the price of admission by using the promo code PODCAST2 when you buy your tickets. If you can't make it, but you still want to donate to the Historical Society, you can also do that on shocktoberandirvington.com, where you'll also find a link to buy tickets. Today on the podcast, I'll be discussing A Nice Place to Visit. It's the 28th episode of The Twilight Zone's first season, and it aired on April 15th, 1960, and for this week's bonus review, I'll share my thoughts on the 1962 movie Premature Burial, written by Charles Beaumont and directed by Roger Corman, uh, and based on the Stephen, uh, Stephen King, wow, uh, the Edgar Allan Poe short story. But first, before I do that, um, I just want to say that I checked iTunes and I noticed that I got a few new reviews and I just want to share my appreciation about the, uh, my appreciation for that because they were really nice reviews. I'm just going to read them really quick here. Okay, so the first review comes from Miss Indie Bunny. Um, it says, While I can't imagine a sci-fi fan only now watching this classic series, I'm enjoying seeing someone discover it for the first time. Matt is an affable and genuine host. He is presenting, not performing, and he treats his listeners with respect. The last thing I want to listen to is, <laughs> is some know-it-all D-bag who thinks he is superior to his audience. Uh, Matt is charming and insightful and clearly enjoys this labor of love. He obviously appreciates his listeners and his gratitude is expressed each episode. Keep up the great work. That's really nice. Um, the next one comes from Angular Turnip on iTunes. Uh, the title is Worthy of the Zone. Uh, Mr. Hurt makes the listener feel feel welcome and his reviews brim with that didn't occur to me-ness. 
which I'm re- I really appreciate that. And finally, the uh, last one that we got is from Katisi. Katisi. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I apologize if I'm completely butchered your name on on this thing after right before reading such a nice review but anyway um the the subject line of it is renewed interest in twilight zone and the review reads found mr hertz podcast by chance and am listening to them while driving cross country his analysis of the programs is interesting i grew up watching the twilight zone and watched many reruns now i'm going to rewatch them thinking about his comments hopefully i can catch up to his latest program so i can comment well worth your time and that's super nice and uh and I completely butchered his name, but no, <laughs> but no, that's really nice. And it's just, I don't know, something about the idea of someone listening to me talk, um, while driving cross country is nice to me. I like that. I like it. So I'm glad that you guys like it. And, uh, once again, you can go and leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really does help out a lot. And, uh, even if it's just a sentence, so, uh, let's see. So this week's episode is a nice place to visit. Which, uh, I'm going to start off, of course, by reading the plot description or the plot summary, courtesy of the Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Sacre. Um, once again, or as usual, I should say, um, this review and the summary and everything is going to be completely filled with spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out on Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, um, or on DVD or wherever you can find it. Okay, so... The, the summary reads, after being shot to death by a policeman, petty thief Rocky Valentine revives to find himself unhurt and in the company of a seemingly good-natured, white-haired fat man named Pip. Pip explains that he is Valentine's guide and that he has been instructed to supply him with whatever he wishes. At first, Valentine is suspicious to the point of shooting Pip point-blank point in the head. But when Pip isn't harmed at all by this, Rocky concludes that Pip must be his guardian angel and he must be in heaven. Accordingly, he goes on a good time spree filled with gambling and beautiful women. The only problem is that everything is too good. Rocky wins at every game and any woman he wants is his for the asking. All of this very quickly becomes insufferably stifling. Rocky pleads with Pip to be sent to the other place with a gleeful uh, ferocity Pip replies, this is the other place. So as usual, before I start my actual review of it, I'm going to go through a quick talent rundown of uh, the episode's actors and and creatives behind the scenes. Uh, This episode stars Larry Blyden as Henry Francis, Rocky Valentine. This is his first of two Twilight Zone episodes. The next we'll see him is in season three's episode, Showdown with Rance McGrew. And, uh... I found a kind of disturbing and and tragic uh, piece of trivia about him. Um, He was a really big collector of antiquities, and he would apparently travel to to like travel across the across the world uh, just to find like antiques and and things that things to buy and everything. So unfortunately, he was in he was in Morocco. Um, and was killed when he was uh, traveled to Morocco to find something. Um, according to, I'm just going to read from the trivia. According to for- former co-star uh, Dina Merrill, he was carjacked by bandits who bandits who killed him and took the car and his valuables. 
Because there was no identification on the body, his family did not learn of the tragedy for several days afterward, which is really terrible. Um, <laughs> the worst transition. Co-starring in this episode is uh, Sebastian Cabot. I don't know if it's pronounced Cabot or Cabo. I'm just going to say Cabot um, as Mr. Pip. Uh, this is his only episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, he was known for being a narrator of several Winnie the Pooh shorts, and uh, he was perhaps best best known for playing Giles French in the 1960s TV series Family Affair. Um, he passed away of a stroke in 1977. And writer for this episode was Charles Beaumont. And uh, it's funny, I mentioned in my review of Elegy, that the the phrase it's a nice place to visit but i wouldn't want to live here was used in both elegy and um queen of outer space which was the film that i reviewed as a bonus review for that episode and obviously this episode is named a nice place to visit at the time i had no idea that apparently that's an expression like it's a nice place to visit but i wouldn't want to live there i hadn't heard that expression. So, <laughs> so I was all prepared to be all excited about talking about, Oh, this is kind of a running thing with his work apparently, but no, apparently it's a, I mean, it's still a running thing, but it's, it's an expression. So, um, I hadn't heard it. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> director for this episode is John Brom. This is his fifth twilight zone episode and the final one for season one. He's got uh, seven more coming. Uh, next up we'll see of his work next time we'll see his his work is uh season two episode 19 mr dingle the strong okay so before going into this episode i i like to kind of think about what i know about the episode before going in and i knew nothing <laughs> i just know i just knew that the title was used um in the expression that it came from was used in the writer's other works in the show and uh, in film, but I didn't know anything else. So this was, this was all fresh to me and I'll just kind of start off by talking about the technical side of it. Um, in terms of like the wardrobe, um, I really appreciated the, I put, I don't know how subtle this was uh, exactly, but I liked the contrast of black and white, um, between Pip and Rocky's wardrobe, Rocky is kind of all in black and, uh, Pip is very much all in white, uh, throughout the episode. And it kind of, I liked it. Like, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty overt. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Like, okay. You know, uh, the contrast between white and black, but, um, what I like about it is that it just kind of gives the audience the impression that Pip is actually an angel after all. It's kind of this visual cue that says like, okay, well, we're supposed to view him as this ambassador from heaven ushering in this this man into eternal bliss. And I, I appreciated what they did for that. Um, as I go into my review, you'll notice that I did not buy it for a second that he was in heaven. But yeah, I just, I liked that as a kind of subtle or maybe not so subtle um, cue to the audience. Also, I really, really loved the music in this episode, especially the music that uh, plays when uh, Pip and Rocky are going to see his records. Um, it's this very foreboding, um, intense, like little music cue. And I, I know I've heard it somewhere. I don't know. I can't place where it was, if it was in another episode or if it's in the DVD menus. Um, I haven't been able to find exactly where I knew it from, but like I instantly recognized it 
I don't even, maybe it's in the, uh, I don't know, maybe it's in the, in the, uh, outro music. I don't think so. But anyway, um, I just recognized it immediately and I just, I loved it in that context. I, I really liked it. Um, finally, in terms of, in terms of, uh, the technical side of the filmmaking aspect of it. Um, there's a shot where Rocky is, uh, in the, in, in the room, his hotel room, his suite, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he, it's an, it's, it's an impressive shot of a pool table. Um, like a pool table just appears in front of him and then he plays a little bit of pool, but all of the balls go into all the holes. And it's just, it's just an, uh, an impressive bit of filmmaking that I appreciated. So one of the things that I missed on the first viewing, but I picked up on repeat viewings was that there's a body in the building of the loan company behind Rocky when he is going through, uh, when he's in the middle of robbing the place. And I was kind of taken by surprise when I saw that for, when I saw it, uh, on that second viewing, because I didn't, I just didn't catch it. So it kind of, I don't know if it's supposed to, imply that he murdered the man or if the man is just unconscious i mean he looks pretty much he looks dead so i wouldn't be surprised but it's just it's just starts off in such a dark tone and plus he i mean he gets killed by the police immediately thereafter um but it's just it's just an interesting interesting way to introduce us to a character that is eventually going to become somewhat likable um i'll get to that when i get to performances but um it's just an interesting entry point to this episode that we have this guy who may or may not have just murdered someone before being gunned down by police for, um, after firing on police and then dying and then going to the afterlife. Um, it's just kind of a, kind of an interesting setup for an episode. And it reminds me that in the, in the DVDs, um, after each episode, it shows the little, uh, the little scenes or the little bumpers that Serling had, where he would introduce the next week's episode saying like, Oh, Hey, next week on, that's not a Rod Serling impression. That's just me talking, but, um, Hey, next week we're going to be showing this episode. This is what it's about. It sounds a lot better than how I described it because it's Serling talking and he's a lot more eloquent, but, um, in this one for this, in the bumper for this episode or, uh, teasing this episode, he says that this is an episode that you can watch with your tongue firmly in your cheek and uh and it is it is in that respect it is a pretty fun episode that plays with some pretty deep um and dark things and i mentioned earlier that i was that i knew pretty much from the get go what was going to happen and and what the twist was that's not entirely sh- that's not entirely true um when i realized that this is an episode about the afterlife and that uh pip is is supposed to be this guy's guardian angel and what have you um i kind of thought or i i kind of struggled with what exactly was going to happen in that first in the opening scenes with the two people with the two of them um i was just kind of wondering what the twist was going to be and and i figured that since the episode began with us seeing rocky die um I didn't know where they could take it from there. It wasn't until a few scenes later that I realized like, okay, well he's in the afterlife. It's going to be re- revealed that he's in hell. But I was just really curious what kind of angle this episode was going to take and what story it was going to tell. But when, uh, when Rocky asks or when Rocky is told that he's died and he says to Pip that he must be in heaven 
Um, and then Pip says something like that. Um, I knew just right then I was like, okay, yeah, he's definitely in hell. That's all right. So I kind of, throughout the rest of the episode, I was thinking like, okay, well, hopefully they, hopefully this episode gives me something more to chew on something. So hopefully this episode is thought provoking in a way that, that leaves me with something rather than it just be a, uh, another 15, 20 minutes until we reveal that he's in hell. Um, so that's something that I kind of had my, had my heart set on and I'll get to that in a moment. But there were some interesting things about Rocky as he goes on his, on his big spree of gambling and women and, and being just enjoying the afterlife. Um, there were a couple things that I found really interesting about the character. Um, first it's, it's kind of interesting to me how generous Rocky becomes, um, as he's, you know, being the big shot and he's winning big and everything. Like he tips the valet, he gives the, gives uh, his chips to the women he's with and he uh, tells one to buy a new coat. And it's just, he's living it up and he's like, it's, it's like, this is, it's something about the character that's, that's interesting to me that I, I feel like this was kind of the focal point of the episode for me is that this is a character who as Serling states in the opening narration, he is a, he's a guy who's never been able to catch a break. He's, he's never, his nickname is Rocky because his life from his perspective has been Rocky and he hasn't been able to catch a break. So now that he's in the afterlife and he can get anything he wants, he's finally living it up and living the life that he thinks he wants, um, which is ultimately his downfall, such as, or such is the way with uh, the Twilight Zone. And it's just interesting to me because he's still, I mean, even though he's living it up, he's, he's on, a, he's having a blast. He's being kind of generous. He's still kind of a, kind of a jerk. <laughs> like even like a term of endearment, not even term of endearment, just like his nickname to, to Pip is, he just calls him fats over and over again. And like, it's just this kind of jovial or, or like, even when he's like, even when he's going through a range of emotions and everything and he's still calling him that it's like, that's not like a term of term of endearment. It's an insult to him that he's just adopted as a nickname for the guy who is giving him anything he wants. And it's just this interesting, like complete lack of uh, respect or compassion because he is such this, he's such, he's such a um, uh, rough around the edges type. Um, the characterization of him in general is kind of cartoonish though, as the, as the, as a kind of a criminal, like the actual like display of him as a criminal is kind of just kind of, just kind of a cliche and, and, and a little like, I don't know how to describe it. Kind of like a, a cliche of like the fifties and sixties, like, like street thug guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so it's a little cartoonish, but, but, what I, what I also like about it and to, to kind of bring it back on topic is that he's also got this, uh, inferiority complex. Um, so there's, there's some complexity to the character. Like when he, when they're leaving the, um, well, first of all, he just doesn't, he immediately doesn't trust Pip at all. Um, and holds him at gunpoint and all that. But, um, as he's leaving the casino later in the episode, which I thought it was kind of funny that the, that the purses and everything just were labeled the casino. 
<laughs> it's not like a branded thing. It's just since it's the afterlife, it's, oh, it's just the casino. Um, but anyway, they see this police officer kind of do, walking the beat. And Rocky is suddenly like his mood changes and he's very um, not in a happy place. Um, but what's what I found interesting about it was that it wasn't because the police officer was intimidating to him or because uh, the police officer is an authority figure and Rocky is this criminal and they're supposed to be these diametric opposites or anything. It's because the officer has as Rocky puts it, quote, a couple of inches on him. And it's just he has this severe inferiority complex that kind of shows through in that line of dialogue that I, I appreciated um, that level of characterization. Um, now, what they do with the police officer is, <laughs> by uh, 2016 standards, really uh, pretty um, pretty crass um, and not very politically correct. But, um, but it still serves a purpose to um to color the character of Rocky a little bit. In an episode that frankly isn't that doesn't really have that depth for the for the and from a character perspective from from what I can tell um from my experience it just what it is it wasn't as deep as I I would have liked the Twilight Zone to be but it still had those bits and pieces there that I latched that I latched onto. And that's also, furthermore, that is also uh, exemplified in the records scene. So by this point, Rocky is is starting to lose his um, his enjoyment of of the this place that he's in, and he's questioning why he's why he's allowed to go to heaven or what have you. And so so they go to the records area and they look at his record. Which I kind of thought that, like going there, I thought that this, I thought at first that the, <laughs> that the scene of the like the steps with all the file cabinets and everything, I thought that was like a record of his entire life. But apparently, it's just like he has one sheet of paper. But what I liked about that scene is that as he's reading through the different situations or the different things in the in the record, um, he reads about them. And they're all things that he's either justifying, like the dog biting him, or he's remembering fondly, like the street gang that he initiated or that he that he founded as a kid. Um, and it's just, I I like that I I like that bit of characterization as well because it's frankly a a from my account from my taste it's a better depiction of a remorseless character than what we got from Caswell in Execution a couple of weeks ago. Rocky is just, I don't know, Rocky's just a more complicated character and his story, his character, characterization, his story is more of a central theme of this episode than it was for Caswell in Execution. Because in this episode, Rocky isn't competing, the character of Rocky isn't competing with a time travel plot device the way that Caswell was in Execution. So we have more it's easier for the audience to latch on to Rocky's character than it was for Caswell's character, which I mean, that's kind of a weak comparison maybe, but um, both episodes, it's, it's funny though that both episodes deal with the character, deal with characters in new and foreign and magical to them places. Um, 
so yeah, it, I, that was just a connection I made there. But, um, but the fact remains, I really like the characterization of Rocky and, and the kind of little bits of, I don't know if subtlety is the right word again there, but it's just, it's enough background on the character to, to kind of know what he's all about. And it pays off. It, it helps the whole story pay off a little bit better because we get to know what kind of person he is. And so the, when it comes to the ending, um, I, I kind of wasn't crazy about it as, as an ending. Um, because like I said, it's, it's kind of expected, but you, you can have an expected ending and still be effective and satisfying. But I feel like this episode's ending just feels way too sudden and doesn't really, doesn't really get its hooks in you the way that certain other endings, endings do like, um, time enough at last with, uh, uh, Burgess Meredith saying he had time now it's not fair and everything that's an that's an iconic ending that i knew about knew so much about going into that episode but i still found it effective or at least i have memories of finding it effective i haven't listened to that episode in a while (laughs) i don't know if i found it effective or not but um i appreciate that ending more than this ending because this feels just so sudden and matter of fact and I can kind of use this to kind of dovetail into talking about the two central performances, but Sebastian Cabot, he, he plays, he plays Pip as the super affable, super friendly guy. And he's so charming that it makes his maniacal laugh and sudden, like, like very sudden turn. Um, at the end, it just makes it feel just a little bit off. I kind of wish that there was, they would have allowed more time to have, a little bit of a conversation to kind of slowly reveal that he's in hell and disguise it a little bit better. Um, I don't know how they, <laughs> I don't know how they could have done that. And if they did do that, I'm sure I would have just been the a-hole who has a podcast talking about like critiquing it uh, 50 years after it aired regard either way. But um, <laughs> I just kind of wish that there was more time to, to really let that, let that, uh, that twist sink in and let the, let it speak to what the character is, um, what it's meant to speak, what it's meant to say about the character. I wish it had more time to kind of sit there and resonate with the audience rather than just have a quick, like, I want to go to the other place. Uh, you are in the other place. Roll credits. That's, it's just kind of quick and sudden and I wasn't too fond of it. As far as Larry Blyden's performance, um, I, you know, I, I liked it. I thought that it was okay. Um, he's pretty unlikable, um, throughout it. Like I said, he, I mean, he, he's constantly just, um, uh, belittling Pip, not necessarily belittling it. It's not like a malicious thing. Like he's just, he's just insulting him as he's giving him everything. Um, and he's just constantly wanting more and, and that's his character. Um, but but Blydell's performance of it or portrayal of Rocky and his complete lack of self-awareness is just really fun to watch. Like, um, I go back to, to what Serling said in the, in the bumper in the episode before this saying that this is an episode that you can watch with your tongue in your cheek because 
it's a silly it's a silly concept it's a silly episode at times because like i'm thinking of the scene where uh <laughs> where rocky shoots pip point blank and pip doesn't react at all so rocky just assumes that he's wearing a bulletproof vest and i just i find that so comical because it's like i mean pip does not re- react at all there's no bullet like there's no he's wearing a white shoe and there's no like like entry point for it and it's just it's just a silly throwaway line that he's just like oh you're wearing a bulletproof vest i'm gonna shoot you in the head and then nothing happens and it's 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 a silly silly thing um but then also there's a little bit of range in blyden's uh, performance because he he gets serious and he starts when he starts opening up to pip about his frustrations in the end um it's kind of a weird sympathetic feeling I had toward him because he is not a very likable guy. But in that moment, it's like, I kind of, I kind of feel for him a little bit as he's kind of working out what I, and what I can assume is many other people, the audience have already worked out. I don't know how, I don't know how, um, effective the twist ending was for any, any of anyone who watched it, anyone else who's watched it. But, um, if you were blindsided by it, if you were surprised by it, let me know because, um, I thought it was kind of kind of super obvious um, for a Twilight Zone twist. So I'm going to talk just briefly about some of the uh, themes and, and cultural subtext uh, about this episode. First of all, just Pip changing the police officer into a little person was just really like screwball comedy and uh, like my my viewing of it here in 2016 is like, Oh, that's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of rough. That's kind of, that's kind of insensitive. But, um, so, so I'd be remiss if I didn't comment on that, but kind of my main takeaway, one of my favorite things about this episode, one of the, one of the things that I latched onto most in this episode is that I kind of really, really love this conception of hell that's depicted in this episode. Um, Pip describes it as being Rocky's, own private domain. So it's everything that he wishes is populated in this whole area um, that he occupies of, of the afterlife. He can have anything he wants, anything he desires, except for other people, friends or, or anything like that. So this is such a um, subversion of the popular image of heaven as being this magical place where you can get whatever you want or in whatever you desire. Um, and it's, and it eschews the popular fire and brimstone depiction of hell. Um, and that was just fascinating to me because that popular fire and brimstone depiction of hell is kind of from, from my perspective, I'm not a religious person at all. So, um, from my perspective, like that depiction is meant as a deterrent for people. Like it's meant to frighten people, frighten people into good behavior in a sense. And I don't mean to offend anyone's religious beliefs. I really don't mean to do that. So if I do, I apologize, but that's just kind of my perspective of it is this, you know, fire and brimstone, like these, these terrible, like torturous, like eternal torture, like that's meant as a deterrent for people's behavior, something to make you think, make you not strive toward being there for all of eternity after you die. Like that's just something you don't want. Um, 
but the way that this episode of the Twilight Zone depicts hell is so personal and dark because it is that, like I said, it's that, it's that, um, it's that conception of heaven that you can have whatever you want. And it just, it subverts it by using it, by subjecting a miserable person to it. Um, like Rocky, and it, it's it's kind of profound in a sense because Rocky gets everything that he wants, anything everything he's ever wanted. He's wanted a million dollars. He's wanted to uh, be just a big shot, and he's wanted to be he's wanted this. I assume forever. Um, so once he gets it, he's still empty and unfulfilled, and he's going to be spending an eternity in this feeling of emptiness and in not being fulfilled because that because because that is um who he is and that makes his personal hell uh, become a place of his own making and that is like the darkest thing i can think of like the darkest punishment i can think of for a character because it's not just that he is going to be miserable for all of eternity in this in in the other place but it's that he he has all of eternity to reflect on the fact that the reason that he's going to be miserable for all of eternity is because of who he is as a person. And that's just, Oh, that's just, that's really rough. That's, I would take fire and brimstone any day of the week over that. Cause that is just, that is just rough. And I, I really, I really loved the way that the, the episode portrayed hell in that sense, because that is, that's a really thought provoking ending for me. Um, or a really thought provoking aspect of the episode for me is that thought that we, we, are, <laughs> our lives are what we make of it as, as cliche and, and, uh, trite as that sounds, but it's, it's in full effect here or it's on full display here with Rocky's scenario in, uh, this episode of the Twilight Zone. So, um, a few things about, uh, a few, a few trivia things to throw out here. Um, so uh, in 1965, a slightly modified version of the story was um, broadcast on a radio program uh, called Theater 5. Um, the episode was called The Land of Milk and Honey, and it had a lot of the, it had all uh, all of the important parts of the episode um, in it. And on November 14th, 1935, uh, the Fleischmann's Yeast Hour uh, radio show uh, broadcast a play titled The Other Place uh, that was written by John Balderston, um, which had a very similar theme and was actually apparently that um, it's the exact same title as the original title for this episode. Um, another piece of trivia is that the slot machine in this episode is the same one used in The Fever. And that uh, Sebastian Cabot was very reluctant to dye his uh, brunette hair and beard blonde um, because he was an actor and acting is like his physical appearance is is a big part of acting and getting jobs and things. This episode was also singled out for its brazen sexual innuendo, according to trivia. <laughs> um, uh, it was requested that uh, Larry Blyden's character not refer to a woman as a broad or as really stacked. Um, even though that was kind of establishing his character further, 
um, it was still, he was still requested not to say that because, um, just because of standards and practices at the time or, or because of, uh, censors at the time. And it was also re- said that, um, <laughs> the protagonist could not refer to a party as a ball because the word had more than one meaning. <laughs> um, and also the uh, the scene where the woman asks, is there anything else I can do for you? Uh, CBS commented on that saying that, please be certain that the girl's third speech be delivered in a sweet manner as described. So that's kind of interesting. And uh, so, so the role of Rocky was originally intended for Mickey Rooney and um, Charles Beaumont got this idea in his head that he, that he would suggest that Rod Serling appear like play the role instead or, or in case in the event that Mickey Rooney couldn't, can perform the role or didn't take the role. Um, Serling turned him down and that's when, uh, Larry Blyden was, was cast, but Mickey Rooney, uh, would later appear in the episode, the last night of a jockey in 1963. And my final piece of trivia is, uh, uh, Donald Trump, who is currently, um, running for president, said that this episode of the twilight zone inspired him in his efforts to succeed. And, uh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, it's weird. It's, it just seems like that, that mentality, like I, I don't know. And I'm not, this isn't being political at all or anything. It's just a, a vague observation about it, but like, it kind of seems like, him saying that this episode inspired him to succeed and, and and inspired him to take what he wants and everything. It just seems like it kind of seems like he missed the entire point of this entire episode, but that's neither here nor there. So I don't know, but whatever. <laughs> um, so to kind of wrap things up on this episode, my closing thoughts are that despite figuring out pretty early on where the episode was going to lead, I was still pretty on board with it and I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, it managed to be really thought provoking in its depiction of hell, uh, which I, which I really appreciated. And I dug a lot of the characterization of the protagonist, but still at the end of the day, it's, it's not going to make my top 10 list. It's not going to make any, it's not going to be an episode I revere. It's not going to, uh, it's not going to inspire me in my efforts to succeed, but, uh, all in all, it's a pretty solid episode and, uh, I like what they were going for with it in a lot of areas and I can appreciate that. Okay. So before we move on to this week's bonus review, here's a highlight from episode 174 of the obsessive viewer. It's a weekly movie and TV podcast that I host with my friends, Mike and tiny over at obsessiveviewer.com. It was ridiculous. Obviously impossible. Mm-hmm. Full of holes that I could pick apart forever. <laughs> and I loved every single second of it. Really, I did. I I, really? I enjoyed it. I thought it was just, it was a fun movie. I I don't know. I walked out of that movie with a big smile on my face. Of course, you can find the Obsessive Viewer on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and at obsessiveviewer.com. And you can find the episode you just heard a clip from at obsessiveviewer.com/slash/ov174. Okay, this week's bonus review is uh, of Premature Burial from 1962. It's directed by Roger Corman. It's part of his acclaimed uh, Edgar Allan Poe cycle 
that was released between 1959 and 1964. It's the only um, entry in that cycle of movies uh, that didn't star Vincent Price. Um, instead, this movie starred someone that I don't know off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, uh, Ray Milland. Ray Milland, that's who it stars. Um, a lot of those movies uh, were written by uh, Richard Matheson, which... I don't know. In the future, I'll, I'll likely review some of them as well. But this one was written by Charles Beaumont, and that's why I chose it for this week's uh, this week's bonus review. And so I don't have that much to say about it, really. Um, it's a really cool opening sequence that it opens in um, this kind of eerie opening of, of these two men that appear to be digging in a grave, but what they're actually doing is they're exhuming... A, a grave and uh it's this kind of startling or it's like this this kind of like <laughs> sort of cheesy looking by today's standards a uh, fog covered like graveyard with really uh really like out there like gravestones um in the foreground and the men are whistling and you kind of get this, it kind of sets a certain mood and I appreciated that about it. But, um, when they open the, open the, uh, casket, they see that the man is, that the body has, is clearly in a, uh, a state in which he, he, in which he was alive when he was buried. Um, so that's kind of like the jumping off point for the, for the movie. And the movie revolves around a main character who named guy, who is super, terrified of that he suffers from uh cataclypsy cataclypsy i believe it's called and so he's he's about to be met by uh, he's wow he's about to be wed to a woman who who promises to to cure him of his fears of it um and it's it's really interesting he because guy is super obsessed and possessed by his fear of death and his fear of being buried alive because uh, his condition cataclysm is, is a thing that will cause him to go into a catatonic state um, what, that would make him appear as though he's dead. So he's terrified that he would be buried and, and, and uh, die in a grave. So it goes to some interesting places. He builds a mausoleum with, <laughs> some silly um uh safeguards in place for him in the in the event that he is placed in there and uh and needs to escape um that's kind of interesting and there the, the way that that's set up is that we have a scene where he is showing he's showing someone all of the little tricks that he has employed to uh to escape if if that event were to occur and uh, we get later on the sequence where he faints and w when, fa when he faints, he has this, uh, dream state. And what I appreciate about that is that when, when that scene is unfolding, um, it goes into this weird nightmarish thing where the, where the film is tinted and there's filters on it. So it's like a, it's like a green and red, um, effect that's done on, on the film to to give it that that state and I, I liked that quite a bit but overall the suspense in this movie just didn't really work for me um in general i thought some of the fog effects were pretty 
pretty cool and pretty engaging or not engaging, but pretty, pretty cool and interesting. Um, but by the end of it, I was just kind of, I mean, it's an hour and 21 minutes long. And by the end of it, I was just kind of, kind of ready for it to end. I didn't really get much out of it in terms of entertainment. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, it wasn't really for me. Um, I forgot to mention at the beginning of that, that, that this episode or this show, this movie, wow, is available on Amazon prime. So you can check it out there. And, uh, I do still want to check out some of, uh, Roger Corman's other, uh, other Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Uh, most notably, I want to check out, uh, the pit and the pendulum for sure. House of Usher, um, Dwell of Tales of Terror and the Raven, of course the Raven, of course the Raven. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, nevermore. But um, yeah, so I think that'll about do it for this week's episode. Um, I didn't really have much to say about that bonus review or that bonus review, but um, yeah, it was it was worth seeing. I, I would, I guess it was worth seeing if you're into that kind of thing. I would, I would recommend checking it out. Or if you're in a, or if you're a big Edgar Allan Poe fan, you might get more of it, more out of it than I did. But for the most part, I I thought it was okay, um, but not really for me. So okay, so to kind of wind down, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, end this episode <laughs> once again. Um, if you're in Indianapolis, um, please come to Shocktober Nervington. Um, it's gonna be a blast. We have some really cool stuff lined up, and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It starts at eight o'clock on October 14th at the Irving Theater. Go to Shocktober Nervington dot com for more details and uh let's see what else oh um i'm also doing my bonus reviews of black mirror so uh the next one coming out will be uh sometime this week and it's going to be covering season two episode one entitled be right back with donald gleason and uh Haley Atwell. So I'm looking forward to that. And if you like the bonus reviews, uh, send me an email and let me know what you think of it and, uh, think of black mirror and, um, all that. So again, that's Matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And I think that about does it. So, and that, on that note, uh, hope you guys enjoyed it and thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Oh, I didn't even mention. Wow. <laughs> next week on the podcast, um, the main podcast, holy crap. Um, next week's episode is episode 24 of anthology in which I'm going to be reviewing, uh, nightmare as a child, which is episode 27 of the twilight zones first season. And the bonus review of that episode is going to be the yellow, uh, the, wow. The yellow canary, a 1963 films, um, uh, written by Rod Serling that is available in its entirety on YouTube. The quality is really not that good, but, um, I recommend checking it out in preparation for, um, this, uh, next week's episode. And also it kind of factors in pretty well to what we're reviewing on or what we're doing on obsessive viewer next week, because we're going to do detective movies. So that could, uh, that could come up there. I don't know. But anyway, now <laughs> thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more episodes at AnthologyPod.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. 
If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317 762 6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out The Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to The Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.